When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Deep Cuts. Hello and welcome to Deep Cuts Lost and Found. This is round number 17. The year that we are looking at is 1990. Three years after all of us graduated, I'm here with my best friends from high school, Rich Air, Derek Brain, Bill Federko, Chris Nashawadi, myself, Thomas Golovich. We're looking at our favorite overlooked songs, overlooked artists, tracks that we think are really great, all from the year 1990. Welcome to the show. So as I mentioned, we're looking at the year 1990. I think all of us are in college. We're all in different places. Uh, I'm in Boston. Chris, I think you're in Connecticut. Billy Federico is at UMass. Uh, Derek, you are in uh, New York. You're at Bard College. Hudson Valley. Hudson Valley. Rich, where are you at for college? Whitman College in Walla Walla, Washington. Walla Walla. Walla Walla. A lot of W's in that sentence. Yes, sir. So true. A lot of alliteration there, Rich. Well, let's first talk about the year. What was happening in 1990? Rich, I think this is uh, your week for that, right? So yeah, I was in Walla Walla, but I did do a semester in London that year. I was an art history major. Nice. And was studying art history in London, which was pretty awesome, and traveling around as much as I could to see the pictures in the books on hanging on the walls. <laughs> <laughs> 1990, generally, in the U.S., things were going pretty well. I think we're at the height of our global policing prowess. The show's about to get geopolitical. (laughs) (laughs) Germany officially uh, reunified. Uh, East and West joined again, as did uh, Yemen, surprisingly. I didn't know that, but 1990, the Baltics and Yugoslavia, that was the year they split up, and, you know, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania joined the European Union. And Shout out uh, to our Estonian fans, by the way. Hey, everybody. Yes. So things were going pretty well. Uh, H.W. Bush was the president, um, and he had not yet thrown up on the Japanese prime minister. So things were looking good. Uh, Except we had a little trouble. Uh, Saddam Hussein decided to invade Kuwait at the end of 1990, which uh, kick-started Operation Desert Storm early in 91. Um, We learned about Scud missiles and Patriot missiles and Storm and Normans and all that stuff. (laughs) Storm and Norman. Forgot that one. Cover Time Magazine, I think, right? Schwarzkopf! (laughs) (laughs) We're going to do a Desert Storm deep cuts in just a moment. That's right. We'll we'll do a themed show on Desert Storm. Science took a couple big leaps, funded by the U.S., led by the U.S. Um, The Hubble Space Telescope was launched that year. It's easy for you to say. Yeah, giant foil wrap burrito looking thing, but it's still up there taking pretty pictures. The Human Genome Project was started in 1990. 
NIH funded uh, that thing lasted 13 years and we mapped all the genes of humankind. Sounds like a lot. Yeah, yes. There's a lot of work involved in that. <laughs> Can't even comprehend it. I'm no scientist, but. <laughs> the economy was pretty good. Mild recession, gallon of gas was $1.16. Mild recession, nothing like the recessions we've seen since then. Uh, average new home price is 147000 Median income was 30000 I'll skip the interest rates because I don't want to bore you on out. Oh, come on. We wanted to know yeah. what municipal bonds were going for. Well, the 10-year treasury was eight and a half. <laughs> oh, wow. He really knows. Okay. <laughs> he wasn't bluffing. He didn't say he had a career in art history. <laughs> Which is pretty incredible seeing that today it's one and a half percent. So if you borrow yeah. 100000 it's going to cost you, it would have cost you a heck of a lot of money. All right. All right. All right. Save All right. it for the bonus round because people are going to want to pay for this. Uh, let's talk about movies. Best picture in 1990 was Driving Miss Daisy. Goodfellas came out and should have maybe won in 1991 in the next Oscars, but Heavy Kevy took it with Dances with Wolves. Heavy Kevy. Heavy Kevy? Are we calling Kevin Costner Heavy Kevy now? That's what I've always called him. You haven't heard that? No, that's that's new to me. Uh, No, I've never heard that in my life. Is that a weight? comment? Like, did he gain weight for that role or something? No, he's so over melodramic oh, and heavy. heavy. Okay. Got it. Sorry for being so literal. Yes, sorry. Um, what, do you guys ski in Aspen together? <laughs> what else came out that year? Uh, Home Alone. Godfather 3. Mm. Arguably the worst of the Godfathers. The worst of the Godfathers. Bold statement, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb. Yeah, you're really going out on a limb there. <laughs> Edward Scissorhands. Uh, Hunt for Red October. That's a good movie. Uh, And a couple of my favorites, Wild at Heart and uh, Jacob's Ladder came out in 1990 as well. Uh, TV saw the debut of Law and Order. Dunk, dunk. 90210 Mm. and Fresh Prince and Blossom, everyone's favorite. Mm. Uh, Still popular on the TV box was Cheers, 60 Minutes, Roseanne, and The Cosby Show. There you go, Derek. Oh, yeah. Got a lot of that Cosby. (laughs) Tee it up, Derek. Now's your chance to say something inflammatory. Just Derek Hart's Cosby. That's all we need to remember. He should still be locked up, but whatever. (laughs) The show brought Lisa Bonet to the world, so come on. True. And, oh, yeah, Different World. Is that what it was called? Different World, yeah, that came out that year as well. How long did that last? Uh, Lisa Bonet was only on it for a year because she got pregnant and left. But she was supposed to be in college. Ah. And they were, I guess, debating about whether they should have a pregnant college kid. I don't know. Did they continue the show or did it just end at that point? Yeah, no, they kept it going. How? Jasmine Guy. Uh, <laughs> Jasmine Guy stepped in. Look at this. Okay. <laughs> oh, right. I remember her. Yeah. Um, nice call, Chris. You knew that. <laughs> Billboard music. Let's talk music. Billboard top songs. The number one song, apparently, of the top 200 songs that year was Wilson Phillips. Oof. Hold on. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, hold on is right. Rock set. Must have been love. Oof. Oof. Uh, but Sinead, Nothing Compares to You, was, I think, in the top five. Thank God. There you go. Belle Biv DeVoe, Poison. Oh. Oh, that's a good song. A little better. Yeah. yeah. That's another one that'll get Nash shaking his tail feathers. You never trust a big butt and a smile. <laughs> <laughs> we said it many times. Ah. Truth bomb right there. <laughs> uh, top albums of that year, Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation, uh, Michael Bolton, Aerosmith's Pump, and MC Hammer. Those are the top five albums. The Grammy that year went to Quincy Jones, Back on the Block album. Quincy, my man. Finally getting his due after getting robbed for Off the Wall or a Thriller. 
<laughs> that was the year Millie Vanilli had an album. Oh, right. Millie Vanilli. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the 11th best album of 1990. Pretty crazy. Was that Ice Ice Baby's year too? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And You Can't Touch This, MC Hammer. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. In other words, the music industry was ready ready for a toppling. <laughs> ready for something to change. Might have been a watershed year. But some other, more, I guess, more likable albums for this audience. Depeche uh, Mode Violator came out. Pixies, Bossa Nova. Mazzy Star, She Hangs Brightly. Yes. Uh, the Happy Mondays, Thrills, Pills, and Belly Eggs came out. Tom Petty, Full Moon Fever. Oh, yeah. Jane's Addiction, Ritual de la... I can never say it. It just It's a tongue twister. Addiction? Habitual. De la habitual. De la habitual. Yeah, that one. Uh, and, of course, Two Life Crew, as nasty as they want to be. In no nastier. But Sonic Youth Goo. Mm-hmm. Fear of a Black Planet. Yeah. My favorite album that year, for sure, was... Uh, I can't think about... Uh, Going to school in London in their flat that I was in without thinking about that Lloyd Cole solo album that came out, X, the X album. Yeah. So good. Great call. But anyway, that's that wraps it up. That's pretty much what I've got on my notes. That's 1990. That's 1990. All right. Nice. Sweet. Well, Chris, why don't you uh, lead us off tonight? Where do you want to take us? You want me to lead off? Yeah, absolutely. All right. All right. I can do it. I think I'm going to have a little bit of a theme tonight. Um, do we have to guess what it is? No, I'm, I'm happy to tell you. <laughs> Unless you want me to be like all mysterious about it. Yeah, I, I think I'd prefer you being mysterious. Okay. <laughs> so the, the two songs I'm going to play tonight both hail from one state. And it's not like a state that we normally uh, play bands from on the show. Um, it uh, is Minnesota. So that's what I'm going to tease with. Ah. You're feeling Minnesota? I am feeling Minnesota. Land of a Thousand Lakes? So the first song is going to be by, well, uh, you know, a couple of years before this, uh, Husker Du broke up. And um, like we talked about in an earlier show, when we were talking about spinoffs, like with Dinosaur Jr., for example, you know, there was Sebado and there was Dinosaur Jr. And with Husker Du, you had Bob Mould obviously had like a really sort of um, high-profile solo career, and with Sugar. Um, but Grant Hart, the drummer, I, I feel like always gets overlooked. And his songs were always uh, some of my fa- some of my favorite songs for Husker Du, but also his solo records, which don't get a lot of love, um, are really, really excellent. And so uh, tonight, I'm going to kick it off with a song from his um, 1990 album, Intolerance, And the song is called All of My Senses. So Thomas, take it away. It's Deep Cuts. Senses, you know I am a 
Chris, were you surprised at all by this direction? Because it, it certainly sounds to me like you are a serious Husker Du fan, and it seems very different from what I would have expected out of a Husker Du member. Well, he, he always wrote the more sort of melodic songs. Mm -hmm. I think the more like emotional songs out of the two of them. So, um, no, I'm not. I mean, like the, for example, like the um, organ. The organ, and that's the swirling organ in that song is really sort of unexpected. Yeah. I mean, it's like kind of a throwback almost. It's almost like, you know, like Eric Burden in the Animals or something. You know, it sounds like very old. Yeah. 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 I could totally see that. Do you know if he actually played the organ or did he have other guys? I don't know. I don't know if he played the organ on that song. I could look it up. But, um, but you know, it, this album is really good. It's also got 2541 on it, which is a great song. There are tons of versions of it, but the best one is on this record. And uh, that's named after the Husker Du's old uh, recording studio and, and I guess where they lived before they sort of got enough money to to move out of it. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I really think, you know, he has such a tragic life, you know, with drugs um, that, you know, both broke up the band and sort of led to the health problems that would eventually take his life. Uh, but, you know, I really just think he deserves his due. And, uh, and, and this is an album definitely worth checking out. Very nice. Yeah. Here, here. Excellent. Rich, where do you want to take us? My theme tonight will be on um, Middle America. I Wait, mean, I didn't know. Did we have to have a theme? I didn't know that. <laughs> you had to have a geographical theme okay. tonight. Darn it. All right. It helps me focus if I know that I uh, have a direction. No, it's great. If this helps you, Rich, then you do it. 
very complicated picking songs. I mean, from one year of trying to narrow it down to it two hard. two songs. Uh, anyway, this band is one of the foundational pillars, I think, of alt country. You and your pillars. Yeah, you love the pillars. Your pillars, your stools. Yeah, he loves stools and pillars. <laughs> I mean, I love uh, Wilco and Sunvolt equally. I'm not a Jeff Tweedy camp or in a Jay Farrar camp. I think I like them equally as well. Oh, come on. You can't say that. You got to pick one. That's pussy in out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Nash, Nash, between heart and uh, mold. Who is it? And, and no offense to anybody. Just who? Just to be contrarian. And then because I just played it, I'm going to say Grant Hart. All right. There you go. All right. And, and Rich is saying Ferrar and Tweedy, they're both great. I mean, it depends on your mood. Sometimes I want a little Tweedy. Sometimes I want a little Ferrar. Okay. McCartney Lennon, go around the horn, Rich. <laughs> Jesus. No one's going to say McCartney. It's not going to happen. I'm saying McCartney. I'm McCartney. You're going to say McCartney. McCartney. And so did Rich. And Tom wants to say McCartney. <laughs> we are doing a show about <laughs> this guy. Everything's bullshit. analog for Bill. He just got to <laughs> be this or that. Anyway, Rich, go on with your, your whole... Fine, let's just hem it anyway, We're talking about Uncle Tupelo, of course. Uh, yes. This is off their first album that came out in 19... 19- 90, the boys from Illinois. Um, I chose the U.S. bands because there's been so much attention on European music in the 80s. Uh, and then you're about to see the wave from the Pacific Northwest hit the grunge wave, of course. But they're making some pretty rocking albums in the Midwest. And it's a kind of a making country accessible to us uh, who may not have really liked country or Western, both kinds. Or hated it. Uh, yeah, so... You know, it was, it's a great uh, new direction. Uncle Tupelo are kind of described as Minutemen meeting Hank Williams. Uh, you know, they think about front porches and screen doors and whiskey bottles and things like that. But this album was actually recorded in Boston at Fort Apache, which we're familiar with. Uh, Dinosaur Jr. I didn't know that. I did not know that. That's interesting. Dinosaur Jr. recorded Bug there, and apparently Jay Maskus uh, allowed them the boys from Uncle Tupelo to use his guitar for this album, uh, which is No Depression. They recorded it for 3500 bucks. Um, I chose a song Before I Break, which I think is pretty rockin' tune. So um, I'd like to share it with everybody. Tom, when you're ready, Before I Break by Uncle Tupelo. It's Deep Cuts, Lost and Found. Round 17, 1990 is the year. I'll spend my last time Everyone, but well, here's the waking up at night. It's drunk and it just my side of the road. 
country was that good yeah all right right i don't want to offend all our country fans out there but it's also a great bridge to grunge if you think about it like how much this is sort of the next step from country moving into grunge it sort of feels like it's a step towards that direction and leaving kind of the 80s rock sound that we were listening to before a little bit behind interesting i think so but you know i I just think this band kind of was a a way into a certain you know some bands that were already out there but other bands that came after that are so important to me, you know, like just your, you know, obviously Sunvolt and Wilco coming directly from them, but, you know, bands like Whiskey Town, Scud Mountain Boys, the Jayhawks, 16 Horsepower, Lucero, you know, like, I don't know if I would have heard those bands if it weren't for Uncle Tupelo. Um, mm. And I'd have to give them props for that. Sure. Gateway drug. Yeah. Definitely a gateway drug band. Total gateway drug. Well, and they spawned two great bands after that, so... Got to give him a lot of credit. For sure. So I found myself, it was interesting when I was going through 1990, I found that it was almost the most broad collection of music of stuff that I was excited about. Like I I found like I was really moving off in different directions at the same time. Like I was listening to more world music. I was listening to definitely the Manchester scene and a lot of the sort of cool bands were coming out of there. Uh, I was definitely kind of getting into hip hop, which is sort of what leads me to this record. Uh, I'm going to play a Tribe Called Quest. I think People's Instincts, uh, Instinctive Travels and the Paths of Rhythm is one of the great debut records of a hip-hop record. I know I played De La Soul last week. I feel like this is a continuation of an amazing golden age for hip-hop. Oh, yes. This is before copyrights became problems and people began to sue everybody and creativity got really nipped in the bud for a lot of hip-hop. And uh, to me, uh, this record was just such a, a just a bomb that went off. Um, Q-Tip was sort of the key producer on this record. I'm actually going to play a track that does not have Fife uh, on it. He really came into his own, I think, later on. He has unforgettable verses in like Buggin' Out, which I know is one of Nash's favorite songs. The Five Foot Assassin. Absolutely. Electric <laughs> Relaxation, Check the Rhyme, all great songs, again, later in the Tribe discography. But this to me is very much a Q-tip record and in a way where I think in many ways Prince Paul had had spent years collecting music and preparing for the De La Soul record. Q-tip had spent years 
building samples, learning. He was in the studio when the whole De La Soul record was made. Uh, he was uh, mentored by a large professor. Uh, he was just in a really exciting place. And to me, uh, this is just an amazing record. The singles are huge. Can I kick it? We know descriptions of yes, a fool. I left my wallet at El Segundo, Bonita Applebaum. Uh, I'm going to play a, a tune that people kind of forget, but I think it's just a great tune. It is called, uh, well, enjoy the lyrics part of it. Uh, it's basically called Pubic Enemy. I hope you like it. It's a Tribe Call Quest. With the program greetings It seems that I've forgotten your name But it seems that she's done the same And now something has happened Suddenly she's been distracted By something that has been attracted She poked and poked and smacked at it Then she broke down and she scratched it Now I think you understand Clint saw the doctor flex his biceps Then he picked up a pair of forceps Her pretty face showed fright Right then and there she fainted A really grim picture is painted frown and the jimmy hates that huh. saw the fair maiden in the royal bedroom caught the king scratching so she had to assume that he got evicted by the enemy's trick the thought of cheating made the maiden so sick that she screamed to scream went on and kept screaming and threw a pot and his dome was beaming you can hear him yelling in the motherland baby baby please baby understand she ignored and walked through the gate the king is in the kingdom to away his fate of the enemy the beer began to be Listen to me. What? Something is lurking by the Jim Brown scheme. Ooh, Jenny? No, not propulated. A horrible creature that must be penetrated. He gets on to ya. Really tries to do ya. You better run fast. He's going up pursue ya. What? Yo, listen here. Pop Master Wiz. No one fears. Okay, bro. That's all I'll let you know. How he lives and how he go. Watch yourself when you're out on the run. The enemy is mess will have too much fun. The four friends of mine who thought they were bad are laid off the stirrups and now they're sad. Is 
is just so fun. And that, that record is so great that like you just forget about this track. And when I listened to the record again, I was like, oh, my God, this could have easily been a single. That is definitely the most uh, fun song about STDs I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <Yeah. laughs> and it's also quite a You know, I remember going to so many parties in college this year, dancing to this record. And uh, I'm sure there was a certain amount of irony to all these college students, you know, sharing groins and STDs <laughs> while dancing to the song. Sharing groins. <laughs> Is that what you kids called it? <laughs> Back in the 90s, we all shared groins. Crazier than we were. Well, Derek, you want to take us to your uh, college experience in 1990? <laughs> <clears throat> I'm not sure we want to go there. <laughs> no, I, I think Derek might need a moment. <laughs> He's about to play the second best song about STDs. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I, I'm going to bring us to a, a, a little more kind of pretty pop realm than that. Um, so the band The Laws, um, yeah. you know, they had a single studio album uh, called, you know, self-titled The Laws, which is Scouse for the Lads. You know, they put out this really amazing pop record and then kind of dropped off the face of the earth. Um, and, you know, they were pretty influential to a certain segment of British bands, certainly. You know, they're sort of the velvet underground for um, certain Brit pop bands. Uh, Noel Gallagher once said that Oasis wanted to finish what the laws started, but... Oasis also said a lot of crap, so who knows, you know. Um, <laughs> True. But it's a it's a it's such a beautiful record, and, you know, everyone knows the There She Goes song. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, this is another song from that record uh, called Timeless Melody, and it's just this beautiful, beautiful pop song. It's a perfect little nugget. Let's play it. It's Deep Cuts.
such great Ooh. songwriting, man. That's it's, terrific. Yeah. So catchy. Absolutely. A timeless melody indeed. Mm-hmm. So what's the story with them? Like, what what happened? Where did Lee Mavers go, Derek? Why did they only put out one record? From what I've read about it is it was almost that he was so uncompromising about what he did that... It's too good. No, it's more like that what was actually recorded didn't sort of measure up to what he had in his head and it drove him mm. crazy. And that in some ways that kind of, you know, that made him walk away. Like, he actually did not... He was pretty upset with this record, with the way it turned out. He doesn't even like this one. His one and only. I mean, I think he's probably, he may have come around <laughs> to it, but it's certainly, you know, that's what sort of a lot of people were saying about uh-huh. him is that, uh-huh. you know, he just could not seem to get what was in his head onto a recording. And that sort of kept him away from continuing to put music out. And we haven't seen him for 30 years, right? I mean, he's <laughs> like popped up here and there, like, you know, like, like played on stage with the who's the the baby shambles guy who's uh oh pete doherty pete doherty he he jumped up on stage with him a few years ago you know there was talk of him playing with noel gallagher or something but yeah you know for the most part he's sort of this mysterious recluse he's like the jd salinger of uh post beatles uh hit makers yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> well, with JD Salinger and being referenced, Billy, where would you like to take us? Sure, sure. Um, well, I was vacillating, but uh, both Derek's pick and uh, Rich's pick are going to help me with my next selection. So um, I'm going to choose somebody who also isn't breaking new ground. I mean, the laws aren't breaking new ground, but they did what they did incredibly, incredibly well. Uh, and I'm going to choose a band that didn't break any new ground, but I think did what they did great. And that's the Cave Dogs, which is a power pop band from Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and the tie-in with Rich's comment is that they also recorded at Fort Apache. So Fort Apache's um, responsible for a lot of, of great artists. There's actually an album I, I know of that's called uh, This is Fort Apache. Uh, I don't think it's on streaming, but it includes uh, songs from folks who recorded there. So that includes Dinosaur Jr., Belly, Lemonheads, Buffalo Tom, Throwing Muses, Sebado, Billy Bragg, mm-hmm. even, and Radiohead, even. Um, wow. But these folks played there, too, the Cave Dogs. Uh, you guys may remember them. They were a band that toured a lot locally. In 1990, I turned 21, so I started going to more bars and clubs to see bands. Um, and there were just a ton of bands around at that time. Uh, even just at UMass, there were the Pixies, Dinosaur Jr., Buffalo Tom. Nearby at Hampshire College, there was Elliot Smith. Went to a lot of shows by O Positive. And this was another band. That I saw a bunch of times. Um, I think I may have seen him at like the Tam O'Shanter in Brookline. Oh, that's a good spot. Uh, <laughs> the Janta. Um, Did Sleepy LaBeef open for you? <laughs> Quite possibly. Quite possibly. Robin Lane and the Chartbusters. All right, we're going through the whole. What I don't know is it just maybe our age, but it seems like late '80s, early '90s was a heyday for local music in Boston. Certainly in Boston, yeah. Well, yeah. even the 70s, I mean, look at like the Cars and Aerosmith and all that, but... Yeah, but I'm, I'm, like smaller stuff that like we knew of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Del Fuegos. Del Fuegos. Sort of morphine forming and, you know, that was right. definitely a lot of important stuff going on. Yeah, it was completely opposite in Seattle. I don't, there were no real local bands that were playing in <laughs> Seattle. <laughs> Sorry, Rich. <laughs> nothing Nothing was really uh, percolating there uh, at this time. Nothing going on. West Coast wise ass. <laughs> All right, save it for 91 when you get to crow about the West Coast. <laughs> um, oh, so where was I? The Cave Dogs, right? So we'll go from their first record, which was uh, Joy Rides for Shut-Ins. And the, uh, the fun, great, catchy song that I've chosen is called What in the World? 
Hit it, Tommy. It's Deep Cuts, Lost and Found, round 17, 1990 is the year. Super catchy. Man alive. <laughs> yeah. It's a shame that they only put out two records, um, this and then Soul Martini. But Mark Rivers, the drummer, appeared in what television show? I'll give you the answer. Park and Rec. He was uh, the drummer in uh, Mouse Rat. Okay. Really? <laughs> Get out of here. What the hell kind of... <laughs> That's a deep cut. That's just a fun fact. I'm throwing it out there. I could have made that That's up. That's absurd. <laughs> Trivia. Wow. <laughs> The whole point of trivia is to be able to get it. <laughs> That's some time well spent. Uh, All right. Right. For my next trivia question will be, what is my favorite indie film? <laughs> right, right. Okay. Down by Law. Nope. Nope. No. Closer. Right. Hot Dog the Movie. Ah, part two. Well, Chris. Uh, oh, back to me, huh? Around the horn? Yeah, back to you. Bring it around. Second choice. This is the way it works, Chris. It's only the 17th show. It's fine. I'm sorry. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> I had teased earlier that I was be doing a Minnesota theme tonight, and um, you did tease that. 
You're going to follow through? Well, uh, yeah, how can I not? I mean, um, I played Grant Hart round one, and in round two, I'm going to go to his old bandmate. Uh, not Greg Norton, but uh, Bob Moult. Oh, I was going to say Greg Norton. <laughs> <laughs> the mustachioed Greg Norton. Oh, what a handlebar he had. Um, <laughs> anyhow, this is Bob Moult's second solo record came out in 1990, Black Sheets of Rain, which is great. And, um, you know, it's definitely heavier than Workbook. But uh, I think the song that I'm going to choose to play is One Good Reason. Probably my favorite song on the record after the title track, Black Sheets of Rain, which is just still just insanely great. Um, it's like blacker than black, though. It's kind of dark. It is. Oh, <laughs> super black. and um, None more black. None more black. This one goes to 11. So one good reason. Bob Mould, Thomas, take it away.
was taken over by the emotion of it all. <laughs> Can we get the man of Sucrets? <laughs> yeah, that pneumonia. I don't know. Somebody played something from Workbook in the previous week. Nash. That was me. That was also me. He only plays Who's Can Do or Who's Can Do spinoffs. <laughs> Yeah, Bob will represent. But I don't, you know, I went back and and listened to both these records, and I don't, for me, I kind of responded more to Black Sheets of Rain than I did to Workbook. I mean, I love love them both, and I listened to the heck out of both of them. I mean, I just played the laws. What are you talking about? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's not soft enough. Not soft enough. Outdo that next. But, uh, <laughs> if anyone's gonna outdo it, it's Bill. I expect you are. Yes, your heart is much farther down your sleeve. Um, but no, I, it's such a killer record. I love every every track on it. It's great. Yeah, agreed. It always feels to me like like Bob Mould is such a so emotionally committed that it's really an interesting emotional journey. But in like the sonic noise of everything is kind of almost. It's not just lyrics. It's not just his voice. It's like the entire mood he evokes with all of the sounds he builds in his. And the records are different. The Sugar record is almost yeah. a pop record. It feels like he's yeah. in a different emotional space. Yeah. And Who here has seen him cry on stage? I've seen him cry on stage. I assume he cries at every concert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I've seen him sweat a lot on stage, that's for sure. But I don't know about crying. Yeah, perhaps it was just sweat that stung his eyes. but um, <laughs> Or maybe it was just because a fan said, that song sounds like R.E.M. <laughs> uh, no, no. Bob is great. And uh, I'd love to see him again. Derek, I think you almost saw him, but didn't. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I He played here a few weeks ago, and I ran into some people who went to see him, and he was there with, uh, you know, the stellar drummer John Worcester and his uh, bass player that he plays with, Jason Narducci. And I really wish I had gone. I, I regret it. But, um, you know, I had a little COVID fear that kept me out of the venue. But um, I heard he was absolutely just in top, top form and still kicking it with uh, his blue Stratocaster and doing his thing. Nice. All nice. right. Well, Rich. Very nice. Where would you like to take us now? I'm sticking with my theme, staying uh, in the Midwest, going back to Ohio. This band was the, this is their uh, second album, their sophomore effort. They are the second band to be signed by Sub Pop, not from the Northwest. Mm. And I can't remember what the first one is, <laughs> but I would like our listeners to chime in. You sounded so smart, and then you, and then you gave the game away. <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone knows, maybe they could chime in once. We'll, uh, get, we'll get one of the interns on but it. But yeah, uh, Jack and Dino produced album, uh, probably one of my top 10 favorite albums. And it proves that the Pure Rock album that was being created this year wasn't just coming out of the Northwest. Of course, I'm talking about Afghan Wigs. Woo! Up in it. And I just, I can't say enough. Every song on this album is good. It's very hard to find a deep cut for me personally, which one to choose. But I did choose one of the more jazzier affairs. It's a slapper. White Trash Party by Afghan Wigs. There we go. It's Deep Cuts, Lost and Found. Round 17, 1990 is the year.
That's a blazing three minutes of rock and roll, man. <laughs> oh, shit. That's a fast song. I try to keep them all about three minutes. Yeah. But I mean, it's also played incredibly fast. <laughs> yes. There's a few beats per minute. It's like early replacements, you know, they couldn't stop themselves. There's not a lot of wah-wah and wah-wah pedals in certain indie rock, you know, the wah-wah-wah. There should be more. There should, you think it should be more wah-wah? I think so. Well, if you're Rick McCollum, go for it. <laughs> He's awesome. There's a bit of wah-wah in, I guess, the direction I'm about to take it in, which is sort of the Manchester scene, because they were kind of playing with 60s psychedelia quite a bit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the bands, like Ride and... By the way, my intern did get an answer to Rich's question, I think. Which is? I think the first band, non-Pacific Northwest, is Codeine. Oh, Ooh, possibly. Oh, Codeine, okay. Yeah. Interesting. New York via Oberlin, I believe. So, Joel, you'll get, you'll get supper tonight. I almost played Codeine this week, uh, actually. Member of uh, Codeine, also in Bitch Magnet that I played the other week, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Derek always chooses the best title. He almost played Retarded by Afghan Wakes tonight, too. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> uh, I love that offensive song, I gotta say. <laughs> Speaking of offensive, Tommy? Yes, I'm going to take you to, uh, to Incest, actually, which will be really exciting. <laughs> okay, all right. Did not see that coming. Okay. Maybe Perceived Incest. All right, so the Happy Mondays, uh, which I think we can't talk about 1990 without hitting upon the Happy Mondays. No. Uh, They released their third studio album, Pills and Thrills and Belly Aches, got released. It's a huge record. It was a record that, you know, kind of was, you know, celebrating MDMA and the Hacienda Nightclub. It was Factory Records that put it out. Um, Obviously, we all recommend the uh, 24-Hour Party People film, the Tony Wilson biopic, which is super great fun. Um, I never knew what Bob's Your Uncle meant. I always thought, it's a phrase, it just makes it means, and there it is. But I always thought... I tried to close one of our shows that way, and I got no response. It's no longer my catchphrase. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I just assumed Bob's Your Uncle had to do with the lyrics that were here, so it sounded to me like the song was... Was really, really creepy and kind of all about incest and about a creepy uncle named Bob who basically <laughs> is trying to fuck you. So basically, that's my interpretation of this song. And it took me years later to realize it had nothing to do with it. So, But you loved it when you thought that was uh, your interpretation. <laughs> yeah, so just enjoy that perspective as you listen to this wonderful song called Bob's Your Uncle by the Happy Mondays. Precious.
I mean, I wasn't around, obviously, in this time period in London, but it just seems like the greatest party in the world. And Didn't we see them together at Lan- on Lansdowne Street, Tommy? Were you with me? I think, I feel like that rings a bell. I-, I definitely saw them live. I have a terrible memory for this stuff, but... Can I tell you guys a great story from the making of Thrills, Pills, and Belly Aches? Oh, totally. Please. Yes? So, they were recording it in Barbados, and... Was this this record, though, or was that... No, this is their next one. The next, sorry. Okay, it yeah, was the next I think one. this is the next record. Yeah, the next record. But I was going to tell this story, too. This story okay. is crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, they, it, it, it's the record that bankrupted Factory Records. But basically, Sean Ryder <laughs> brought methadone. He was, like, kicking drugs, and he was kicking drugs. I mean, you know, whatever. And so he was bringing methadone down to Barbados, where they were recording in Eddie Grant's studio, Electric Avenue Eddie Grant's studio. Electric Avenue. Yeah. Nice. So apparently, like, the methadone either, like, spills or gets lost or whatever on the flight down. <laughs> so they need drugs once they get down there. So they just, like, start taking crack. And, like, lots and lots of crack. As one does. As one does when they can't find their methadone. <laughs> As one does in Barbados. <laughs> right. So they basically turned Eddie Grant's home slash studio into a crack den. And... Eddie Grant, like, basically had to move out. Wow. (laughs) But Chris Franz is the one trying to produce this thing. Right. And Tina Weymouth, yeah. And, you know, yeah, like, apparently they're saying Sean Ryder was at the airport, like, on the ground trying to lick the methadone off the floor (laughs) of the airport when he spilled it. And this was also the same time that guy Bez, you know, the Mr. Maracas dancing guy, took someone's car and was doing donuts in the parking lot and turned the car over and, like— uh, broke his arm like in half almost uh, and had to be like flown off the island. And they caught Sean Ryder trying to load up furniture from the studio in his car to sell for crack. 
us. <laughs> Furniture. They had to stop him. Quick, grab the heaviest thing you could find. <laughs> it was sounded like it was a total disaster. Oh, poor Eddie Grant. I frankly, I like reading about Sean Ryder more than I like listening to his music, to be honest with you. But yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, if you put on Hallelujah right now, I'd be in heaven. Or Kinky Afro. That's a good song too. Yeah, yeah maybe. it's totally. great. It's a great record. Yeah, but still. Uh, it's just they're really entertaining. <laughs> they're, Absolutely. They're a compelling mess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Derek, uh, speaking of, where would you like to take us? Oh, I'm going to do a little. An Eddie Grant deep dive, perhaps? No, I'm going to do some serious <laughs> whiplash action right now. <laughs> okay. You always do. So she came up earlier, uh, Sinead O'Connor, uh, with her big album this year, I Do Not Want One I Haven't Got. Obviously, uh, the Prince penned Nothing Compares to You got a lot of play that year, but I doubt if this song got played on commercial radio anywhere. This is her song, um, Black Boys on Mopeds. And, um, you know, I think Sinead O'Connor really doesn't get the credit for being more than willing to put her career on the line to make a statement about what she thinks is important. Um, you know, she was way ahead of the curve on Catholic uh, priest uh, abuse scandal, you know, with her uh, Fight the Real Enemy performance on um, Saturday Night Live, where she ripped up a picture of the Pope and uh, had Frank Sinatra wanted to kick her ass. But this was, you know, another sad example of her being ahead of the curve and a song that is unfortunately as, um, you know, important today as it was then. Uh, and I found myself turning to this song during the tumultuous 2020 Black Lives Matter protest uh, era. And, um, you know, a song from 1990 about uh, racial profiling and uh, a young boy dying in England after being chased by the police in a case of racial profiling. But uh, it's a beautiful protest song called Black Boys on Mopeds by Sinead O'Connor. It's Deep Cuts. Margaret Thatcher on TV Shocked by the deaths that took place in Beijing Seems strange that she should be offended. The same orders are given by her. I've said this before now. You said I was childish, and you'll say it. Looking for food for her 
song man what a great pick she's just an incredible singer yeah it's interesting i was looking at it i was always curious about what madam george and roses was and i looked it up expecting madam george to be some british historical figure but it's just a van morrison song from uh, his album (laughs) astral weeks which is somewhat apt in terms of saying england's not this uh it's that and you know van morrison is now this sort of covid denier curmudgeon (laughs) You know, another disappointing figure from the 60s and 70s, aging into uh, crappiness. <laughs> <laughs> he's always been a little bit crappy, though, you know? I mean, Yeah, he's, that's true. He's always been a crank. He's always been a, yeah, he's certainly always been a crank. But Almost everybody who deals with him just usually just kind of <laughs> describes him as being a bit of a dick. So I guess I'm not surprised. You know, I hope she's out there. I think she's doing better lately. You know, she really had some... We just lost all the Van Morrison fans, by the way. Uh, that's right. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I mean, she had some real struggles with uh, her mental health, but uh, I think she's doing better and has been, you know, was touring a little bit and kind of getting a little love and a little getting her due. And, uh, you know, I think I think she's really put herself out there for certain causes in a way that not a lot of artists do. And I think she deserves respect for that. I feel like she had a, a book a, like a year or two ago, yeah. right? Yep. She did. Exactly. Yeah, she did. Yep. She did. The fact that Derek hasn't read it is only... That's shocking. That's shocking. shocking. Exactly. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a gap. Is it shocking or is it sexism? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to stir it up with Derek. No, no, no. I read the Chrissy Hind one. That was good. Okay, okay. <laughs> I have one female friend. <laughs> Derek, you have homework before the next show. All right. Yeah. I got homework. That's right. All right. I read six Guide by Voices. <laughs> Consider books. it downloaded. <laughs> All right, Billy, you get to close out the show tonight. Uh, how would you like to do that? All right. I was tempted to do a, something from Manchester to something by Charlatans or Inspiral Carpets, but since you've covered that, I will, uh, <laughs> I will move along. I will go to Scotland. It seems to be the place I go when I get in trouble. Uh, I go Your there for Simple place. Minds. <laughs> yeah, it's my happy place. Yeah. Uh, it really is. Um, bands like Big Country, Simple Minds, Blue Nile. Um, and here's another one, Trash Can Sinatras. Uh, I was drawn to them by the name itself, since I'm a huge Frank Sinatra fan. Um, but they are just a, a very um, melodic band, uh, similar to The Laws. They're not breaking new ground, but they're doing what they do, I think, very well. Great craftsmanship and just pretty evocative songs. Uh, Melancholic, which is you know right up my alley. And the timbre of uh, Frank Reader's voice just, just gets me. Uh, this is from their debut album, Cake. Uh, the song is The Best Man's Fall. Uh, I recommend those who uh, are interested, check it out on YouTube. There's a live version that they play in someone's house in Hartford, Connecticut, <laughs> uh, standing in front of like someone's mantle and uh, just two acoustic guitars, one electric guitar and a percussionist. And it's just beautiful. Uh, and I hope you like this song. Um, like I said, just wonderful melody, great lyrics. I um, hope you enjoy it. Best Man's Fall.
Round 17, 1990 is the year. It's Deep Cuts. up at the end doesn't it yeah it does um so nice i think it's some sort of piano or keyboard that kind of flushes it out it's subtle they're new to me i like that yeah i've always seen the name but i've never dipped into them this is the debut but they have several albums um i mean of recent ones weightlifting is really good that was i don't know how many years ago now but um it's definitely more recent uh but they've been making records for 20 years or so so yeah highly recommend beautiful pick 
All right. Well, uh, let's talk about further listening. That, that like, closes out our little rounds here. Uh, Rich, why don't you open up with what you would recommend for further listening? What's a record from 1990 you would recommend our listeners check out? There were a few, but I, I know we need to pick one. Um, <laughs> or you could do what I do. You could list 10, 12, and then... I was going to mention the following eight. Right. I've, I heard all the 15 yeah. that I didn't pick. I didn't choose any of the following. These are the 20 that I did not pick. <laughs> But uh, this was the one and only album uh, by this band in 1990. Uh, unfortunately, this is one of those examples of uh, what could have been. Um, so six days before this album was set to release, uh, Andrew Wood, the lead singer, succumbed to his heroin addiction. Um, but out of that tragedy, this album came. Fantastic album. And, you know, and the Temple of the Dog, Pearl Jam probably wouldn't have existed if not for that event, sadly. So I wanted to recognize uh, Apple by uh, Mother Love Bone. And so that's the album. I think everyone, if you haven't heard it, is Andrew Wood is quite a personality, is a character, as they'd say. Not just a character, but he was, uh, he was a force. <laughs> yeah. In this Pearl Jam, did they become right. popular? Yeah, no. I totally second that recommendation. It's such a fun record. It scratches so many itches, you know, in terms of like, you know, kind of classic rock and your kind of Guns N' Roses-y. Uh, <laughs> but he's just unrepentantly kind of rock gaudy, you know, like he'll say chica chica baby yeah. without like any <laughs> sense of irony at all. And it and it somehow works. Um, so I second that. Herbert at its best. So Derek's <laughs> further listening is the same as Richie's. We can move on. <laughs> <laughs> Derek, what is yours? <laughs> I'll do a real quick one. Um, I want to recommend the last uh, record on uh, 4AD label from this particular band, the Cocteau Twins, uh, Ooh, Heaven or Las Vegas. Great record. Um, you know, fronted by the incomparable Elizabeth Fraser, who I saw do a few songs with the Massive Attack on their recent mm. tour a few years ago where they were doing the Mezzanine record. Yeah. And yeah. it kind of reminded me again of how incredible she is. And um, this is kind of a great... You know, it's certainly one of their more approachable records um, from that particular band, um, but it's great. Uh, can't go wrong with Heaven or Las Vegas by the Cocteau Twins. Yeah, terrific choice. Nice pick. 1990, Billy Federko, what would you recommend? Okay, well, um, my next choice is um, Jazz Butcher, and uh, we lost Pat Fish this week. Oh. Uh, we're recording this in October. Um, Pat Fish was the Jazz Butcher. He just passed away. Uh, coincidentally, he did have an album in 1990. Uh, called Cult of the Basement, um, with great songs like Mr. Odd, She's on Drugs, uh, Sister Death. Um, I recommend all Jazz Butcher records. Um, this one in particular is from 1990. And one bit of solace, he did leave us with a new song, actually. There's a new song called Time, which is quite good, so check it out. Nice. Oh, great. Chris. A great, great, great uh, album title. Also, the Fishco Tech. That's a good, good name for a record. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. I played that back in our 88 show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to keep it brief and just say, um, I'm surprised no one else said this, but uh, Buffalo Tom's Bird Brain. Yeah. This is on my short list. I mean, I, I just love that record from from start to finish. And um, it felt like, um, I don't know, there was so much great music sort of happening in 1990-91 that had this sort of DIY feel. And for me, Buffalo Tom sort of felt like, our contribution to that world. You know what I mean? The sort of mm -hmm. our neck of the woods sort of, uh, yeah. you know, they weren't like the most prominent band, but they made records as good as any of the prominent bands did and probably deserved a, a better fate than they had. Yes. Um, but geez, those records are so good to go back to and listen to. 
Love it. Seconded. All right. And I got a weird one. Um, no, you. No. What? <laughs> Get out. Lou Reed and John Cale collaborated oh, okay. on an album called Songs for Drella, yeah. uh, which was a nickname for Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol had just died. Uh, it's a sort of a, a, a hybrid of Cinderella and Dracula was sort of the, the nickname for him. And the two of them had met at his funeral, and they hadn't talked in probably a decade. And uh, Julian Schnabel, who was at the funeral as well, recommended that they do a tribute record to Andy Warhol. And it's a weird and interesting record. Um, Lou had just done his New York album, which I'm a big fan of. and I love that record. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a great record. So you got some of Lou's sort of... Uh, his songwriting was in a strong place and John Cale always makes interesting things and it's a great analysis of Andy's personality and his psychology it's not always flattering in fact it's a very critical record of Andy in a lot of ways but if you want to understand Andy I think one of the ways of doing it is listening to this album called Songs for Drella by Lou Reed and John Cale that would be my recommendation for further listening and let's talk a little about uh, social media okay uh, well I'm at, at Chris Nashawati on Twitter but um, Bill is sort of our concierge when it comes to social media. <laughs> so I'll let him sort of uh, fill in. Yeah, check us out on the gram. Is that what the kids call it? Yeah, the Instagram. Or, or do they call it Insta? I don't know which one. Uh, but we're on Instagram. We're on Facebook or the book, as I call it. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're on Twitter. If you search for De Deep Cuts Lost and Found, you will find us on all of those uh, social media. And uh, leave a comment or, or write to us. We will respond. I read a great comment uh, the other day on Twitter. Someone said, um, I just realized that deep cuts doesn't mean emotionally cutting songs. It means the second part of the name of your title, which is lost and found, discovering. But we can serve you that as well if you want. Yeah. And I said, we have no problem serving up emotionally powerful songs. We're happy to do that, <laughs> but we'll try to make them a little deeper on the record and harder to find. But uh, but please, write to us, leave reviews, comments, anything. We'd, we'd really appreciate it. Yeah, and I'm getting a little bit more active on social media, so you can look me up on Facebook and Instagram. I'm doing my best. Yeah, so. Tom's doing more. You can see photos from yeah. Estonia, for example. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and check us out on Patreon, of course, which is where we'll have our bonus show, where we do another round. Premium content, folks. Yep. Another round of this and video. Ooh, so yeah. You know you want to see that. <laughs> you want to pony up for that. Speaking of, so let's talk uh, really quickly about what we heard tonight. And the vote here is going to be on what we think is the most exciting deep cut, the biggest discovery, the song that really rocked our world. Uh, you cannot vote for yourself. Uh, here is what we heard tonight. Chris opened it up with Grant Hart, formerly of Husker Du. All of My Senses is the name of the song from his solo album, his first solo album, Intolerance. Rich came in with uh, Uncle Tupelo and Before I Break from No Depression. Uh, I played uh, Tribe Called Quest and Pubic Enemy from People's Instinctive Travels and The Paths of Rhythm. Derek played The <laughs> he Laws. Said pubic. That's right. He said Pubic. Timeless Melody from The Laws, their one and only LP. Uh, Billy came in with the Cave Dogs, uh, Boston band, correct? Yes, sir. Yep. What in the world from Joy Rides for Shut-Ins. Chris came in with the other half of Husker Du, Bob, I shouldn't say other half, one, uh, a second member of Husker Du, a second of the third. The second leg of the stool, as Rich <laughs> might put it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I love those stools. stools. 
<laughs> One Good Reason is the name of the song from Black Sheets of Rain. Uh, Rich came in with Afghan Wigs, their debut. Is it their debut up in it? No, it's their second record. No, their first record was Big Top Halloween, although you can't even get it anywhere anymore. First one on Sub Pop, yes. White Trash Party is the name of the song. Uh, I came in with the Happy Mondays, Bob's Your Uncle, which I can thought was an incest song, but isn't. Uh, <laughs> Pills and Thrills and Belly Aches is the name of the album. It is now forever. <laughs> yep. Derek took us down to earth with Sinead O'Connor and Black Boys on Mopeds, a piercing song from her beautiful record, I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got, which is one of the best titles, I think, of any record we've heard tonight. Uh, and Billy closed it out with the Trash Can Sinatras and a very emotionally resonant song called The Best Man's Fall from their album Cake. So we should go ahead and start our vote. Is everyone ready to pop it into the chat? Uh, well, yes, sir. One, sec. one yes. second, one second, one second. I have to say tonight's the hardest vote for me because there are three that I really want to vote for. Wow. wow. All right. Yeah. I know where I'm going. Yeah, me too. Uh, have me. Are we ready? One, two, three, go. Oh, boy. Oh, uh -oh. my. Bob's your uncle wins. Yep. Bob's your uncle. Wow. Okay. Nice, Tommy. Congratulations, Tom. Well played, sir. I think that's two weeks in a row for him. It is two weeks in a row coming from behind. I mean, if anyone's counting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had, a, I had a long streak of nothing, so this is a Red Sox kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. Huh. He's hot now. We, we better bring out the cooler. That's right. <laughs> Even a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> we definitely have to deflate Tom after this. That's right. <laughs> By the way, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, give praise to our French overlords. I know they've felt a little slighted. I haven't mentioned them, or Tom hasn't even sucked up to them right That's lately. That's true. So, yeah. Jerome. You're in our thoughts. Yes. <laughs> Did something happen to him? No, but he, he got a little peeved that we hadn't talked about ah, him recently. Ah, so, yes. Okay. So this is for yeah. Jerome and uh, our engineer, Thomas, or as we affectionately call him, French, French Thomas. Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> Very creatively, we've named him French Thomas. So, yeah, we will we'll be sucking up to you guys next week. On behalf of uh, Rich Air, Derek Brain, Bill Federko, Chris Nashawadi, myself, Thomas Golovich, thank you so much for hanging out with us. It's Deep Cuts Lost and Found. This was round number 17. 1990 is the year. Man, what a nice way to break in the new decade. We hope that you'll catch us next week as well as we tackle 1991. See y'all soon. Au revoir. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.